Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm Pam Larickia, longtime unschooling mom and author. Join me and my wonderful guests for interviews, information, and inspiration about unschooling and living joyfully with your family. You can find the episode show notes, your free introductory ebook, What is Unschooling?, and lots more information at livingjoyfully.ca. And here's the show. Hello, everyone. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 76 of the podcast. It's the 14th of June, 2017, as I record this intro. And in this episode, I have a wonderful conversation with Carrie McDonald. Carrie lives and learns together with her husband and four never-been-schooled children in Massachusetts. She blogs on her website, wholefamilylearning.com, and is on the board of the Alliance for Self-Directed Education. We have a lot of fun digging into all sorts of things, including what it really means to learn naturally, the distinction between equal opportunity and equal participation in the workforce, and Carrie's passion for the intersection of self-directed learning and education policy. As a personal update, we've been working behind the scenes here the last few weeks, and the podcast is now available on YouTube. The channel is called Living Joyfully with Unschooling, and I'll link to it in the show notes. As you know, at this point anyway, I only record audio for the podcast, but I had a lot of fun searching through the archives and creating a bunch of images with great quotes from earlier episodes, so hopefully adding a fun touch for those who like to consume their content on YouTube. I also really enjoyed creating the channel banner, and we set up playlists, giving you quick access to collections of themed episodes like the Q&As, 10 Questions, Unschooling Dads, Deschooling, and so on. So it was fun and work weaving together, just how I like it. And I want to thank everyone supporting the show on Patreon. You guys rock. And a big welcome to new patrons Priya Cox and The Brook. I really appreciate you guys. You inspire me to put my all into every episode. I love that you're helping me share unschooling information with anyone who wants to explore ways to live this wonderful lifestyle with their family. And if you'd like to support the show, even for as little as a dollar a month, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And this week's quote comes from our guest, Carrie. She reminds us, no matter how wonderful the teachers are or how thoughtful the curriculum is, it's still someone else's ideas around what a child should know versus a child asking their own questions, pursuing their own interests, and moving along a path that's meaningful to them. Understanding this and seeing it in action with our children is such a crucial crucial piece of de-schooling. It may be disconcerting at first, but we need to step back and give our children the space to take the reins. Because they will, and they will take you places you haven't even imagined. It is pretty incredible. And now, on to the interview with Carrie. Hi everyone, I'm Pam Larickia from livingjoyfully.ca and today I'm here with Carrie McDonald. Hi Carrie! Hi, Pam. Glad to be here. I'm so glad to have you. I uh, recently came across some of Carrie's online articles and followed the thread, of course, back to her blog, where I really enjoyed reading more about her unschooling perspective. 
She's also on the organizing team of the Alliance for Self-Directed Education. And I was so happy when she agreed to chat with me. So to get us started, Carrie, can you share with us a bit about you and your family and your journey from a master's degree in education to unschooling? Right. So it's interesting. I, I was an economics major as an undergraduate in college and an education minor and became really interested in alternative education even back then, um, but didn't know anything about homeschooling until I did a research project my senior year of college. And a classmate of mine had a family member who homeschooled her daughter, and I was able to interview her and find out a little bit about the philosophy of homeschooling. And I was so intrigued about thinking of education outside of the traditional schooling model. And so that got me hooked. This was back in 1998. So after graduating from college, I went on to graduate school at Harvard and got a master's degree in education policy. And during my time there, I became even more interested in alternative education. What was interesting about the master's program at Harvard then, and to some extent still, is if you're interested in alternative education, the really the only way to go is charter schools. This is essentially all they're sort of focusing on there. So that's what I did when I was in graduate school, is looking into the choice movement, the charter school movement. I became involved with a think tank in the Boston area that was very involved in the charter school movement and still continues to be today called the Pioneer Institute. Um, so I really started to think about other models outside of traditional schooling model and was always still thinking that there had to be more, that there had to be um, something beyond just charter schools if we're thinking about alternative education. So I stumbled upon Montessori education or Waldorf education and all of this um, just started percolating. But after graduate school, I sort of left education policy for a bit. I became an internal training manager at a large Boston law firm and then left there to start my own corporate training company, which I did for a number of years and absolutely loved it. I worked primarily with professional services firms, accounting firms and law firms on their employee development programs and training. And I thought I would keep doing that because it was sort of my baby. And I thought I would continue to um, run my business even when I started a family. But as I'm sure many of your listeners can relate to, once I held that baby, I said, this is the most important thing to me. And so I ended up um, shuttering the business and and uh, sending clients elsewhere and devoted myself full time to mothering and found it incredibly gratifying and, and um, equally the most challenging thing I've ever done. <laughs> so, um, so happily, I was happily mothering going through that process, um, hadn't really even started thinking about the kids' education, although I was still always really interested in these alternative um, education models. But it wasn't until my oldest, who's now 10, was two and a half, and all of her same age peers were heading off to preschool. Um, the preschool cutoff in our city is 2.9. So when you're 2.9, you can head off uh, into a, a full-time preschool program. And so I, as her friends went off to preschool, I still was very happily being a stay-at-home mom. I had my son was six months old at the time. Um, and we were just going about our days as we always had. And I wasn't thinking at all about preschool or schooling for them at that point. But as I 
would go to playgrounds with the kids, I would have people come up to me several times that fall and say, oh, how old is your daughter? And I would say, oh, she's two and a half. And they say, oh, where does she go to school? I said, oh, she's two and a half. <laughs> home with me. And, and they said, oh, so you're homeschooling. I said, no, she's, you know, she's two and a half. But this happened several times um, that fall. And I'm so glad it did because what it what it enabled me to do was really think, okay, let's start connecting again with all of this research that I had done years before with homeschooling and see what it's like now and see if this could be a real possibility. Uh, and so it was great. I ended up connecting with our local Boston homeschooling community and the networks that are vibrant in the city and met friends um, friends of mine and friends of my daughter's that we're still friends with today, now eight years later. And so it was really such a great gift to be able to be prompted in that way. Um, and at that yeah, such young ages to connect with the homeschool community. And then it became very clear um, that my children would learn without school. Uh, and that's what we've been doing. And, and um, I now have four children. They're 10, eight, six, and three. Uh, none of them have ever been to school, and we're just so grateful to be a part of the local homeschooling community. No, oh, I love that story, and it's amazing how early people start asking that question, right? School, I think it is, right? <laughs> but as you said, it was a great, uh, uh, I guess, motivation for you to start looking and start thinking about that, as in, you know, then you would... Um, I don't know. It, it just feels like uh, a choice that you ha ended up making nice and early that that helped you guys uh, get set for the years to come. Right? It was great. And in fact, our, our local homeschooling group has a young homeschoolers weekly park day um, that they've had for several years. And that was how we originally connected with families. And it's such a great model because it's really for people who, you know, may not even be fully committed to homeschooling, but have young children who are not in preschool or maybe or even in just a half day part-time preschool and exploring the homeschooling options. So um, I was felt really lucky that we had that kind of a resource. And in fact, just the other day, I got an email from a parent who, of a two-year-old who was um, considering homeschooling and looking what to do. And, and it just reminded me of my experience back then. And of course, the first thing I said was, uh, you know, go ahead and join these local homeschooling networks. That is really cool. A park day that's that's focused on on younger kids. Is that what you meant? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Is connect connect with community and build friendships and see if it's a good fit. And then for us, you know, we just sort of grew into it. It became a natural extension of our parenting young children and watching how they learn naturally um, as babies and toddlers, and then into early childhood and beyond. And wanting to continue that and facilitate that. That is super cool. And speaking of which, I do love hearing about what unschooling kids are up to. Um, I was hoping you could share what your children are interested in at the moment and how they're pursuing it. Right. So I'll start with my 10-year-old daughter, who um, is interested really in a lot of things, but primarily, I would say, crafting and coding. Yeah, <laughs> so the she is, she is quite um, an, a creator. I, I, she must have some family genes somewhere, but she can um, 
knit and sew and create almost anything from anything, um, really teaches herself from library books and, uh, you know, YouTube videos and any other resources that she can find, taught herself origami and, and um, crocheting, again, just from these resources that, you know, nothing that I know how to do or my husband knows how to do. She really was able to go out and, and um and explore and gain these this kind of knowledge. So she loves crafting, and then she loves coding, so programming. Um, right now, she programs in Java, but she previously was really interested in the Scratch program, which some of your listeners may be aware of through MIT. It's a free um, online pro- software program designed to get kids interested in um, coding and sort of the 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 language of coding from very early ages. So they have Scratch Junior and then the regular Scratch for different ages. So she started off with that, um, and she takes a weekly class or a, spend a day a week at uh, a local homeschooling learning center in Somerville, Massachusetts, called Parks and Crafts where uh, it's a self-directed learning center, so everything is optional. Classes are offered. You can either participate or not. But interestingly, they have a class that she loves called Art and Code, (laughs) which seems (laughs) made for her. So... um, so she loves loves it there, and she's also uh, uh, really passionate about math and has taught herself a lot of math. We are so fortunate in the city to have an incredible homeschool um, resource in a woman who's been teaching enrichment math classes for over 30 years. She has a um, graduate degree in mathematics from MIT and just loves math and loves teaching math through play and games and hands-on manipulatives. So she is quite a gift for us and has been amazing for my daughter. And now my daughter is able to uh, be the teaching assistant for the younger groups in addition to her own math classes. So that's what she's up to. And it's just been really interesting um, now that she's 10 and a half to just see how her interests explode and, and really mature as she gets older. And then my eight-year-old son is very interested now in skateboarding and basketball and parkour um, and will gobble up any kind of fiction book related to Minecraft. So there's a sort of burgeoning genre of Minecraft fiction stories that has just really elevated his reading and he just will spend hours. I feel like authors can't keep up fast enough with creating these new books for kids interested in this. Um, but what's really interesting with him and skateboarding, I feel like skateboarding is, has been this perfect example of unschooling, where, again, he doesn't have any family members or close friends who have been interested in skateboarding, but just um, had this interest pop up. And so we were lucky that we went to a local skateboarding shop in the city that's run by a young guy who's always been passionate about skateboarding since he was young. And he just spends hours chatting with my son and talking about, um, you know, different skateboarding mentors and resources. And it's just been really great to watch that. He spends a lot of time um, 
at the skate park and then watching YouTube videos around tricks and techniques. Um, and interestingly, I just read an article recently, I think it was in Forbes, that talks about um, what made skateboarders so good uh, in, I think it was the mid-80s, there was this explosion of talent in skateboarding. And it turns out that it was right around the time when videos were coming out around um, skateboarding tricks. So VHS machines were sort of new and you were able to watch sort of how-to videos on how to do skateboarding. And it really led to this incredible um, um, sort of explosion in quality of skateboarding and variety of tricks. And I see the same thing now with YouTube and how he learns skateboarding through YouTube and then going out and practicing the moves. Um, it's the same, it's the same way that if you have resources and have access to information and knowledge. It's incredible what you're able to do with it and how you're really able to learn and apply what you're learning in a way that's meaningful. Um, and then my six-year-old is has been passionate about bugs for going on three years. You know, initially we thought it was just a, a passing interest. She's really committed to bugs. <laughs> She's teamed up with an entomologist at the Harvard Natural History Museum who was able to pass along some bug kits and bug um, catching uh, materials for her. She's um, now pinning and preserving her bugs and uh, is just my nature girl. So she loves that. And then my three-year-old is just along the ride at this point. He is um, happy to just be with his siblings and watch what they're doing. I love that. That was beautiful. <laughs> I can I can totally see the, the crafting, coding um, crossover. You know, it sounds a lot like uh, Lissy when she was younger, too. She she would put together crafts like out of anything, you know, and it was, right. you know, it's just right. kind of the way their, their mind likes to work. It was really interesting. Yeah. And, and, um, the co coding itself, it, it's, it's got those, um, uh, parameters or, or constraints on it. Like this is the language that you use, but there's so much creativity, um, inside with, how um like the idea of beautiful code you know that you can um, right, right. so elegantly use that language to to do something to create something i mean you can you can power through it and take tons of lines but then you know if you can figure out a really elegant way to make it do this and that in like three lines it's it's very fun to play with and I loved, loved your uh, mentioning the YouTube and the skateboarding stuff because, you know what, that's something I really noticed the last few years at the dojo. You know, when people were, um, the kids were prepping their routines and, and stuff for tournaments and even just for fun in the, in the classes, that they would have so much fun going online and seeing um, other people's tricks and new things that they were doing and they were bringing so much of that creativity into the local scene rather than, you know, being on the professional level, but they were all so excited to just try this out and try this out and add it in. And, and they had so much fun with that. So I thought that was a really great point. Yeah. <laughs> um, you wrote a blog post that I really enjoyed recently that was called natural learning in an artificial world. And I wanted to share a quote from it. 
As as homeschoolers, I think we have a tendency to seek out classes and educational experiences that foster what we consider to be natural learning. We look for programming that encourages self-direction and child-led learning. We search for teachers who connect with children and ignite their curiosity. But real natural learning cannot be captured in a classroom or caged in a curriculum. And I was hoping you could talk more about what you mean by that. Yeah, it's so interesting that you pulled that quote out um, because I think it really speaks to what the difference between um, natural learning and sort of the schooled learning that we're accustomed to as a culture. Um, so that post, interestingly, was um, posted several weeks ago. I want to say it was back in March where um, my six-year-old, my nature lover, was about to start a wonderful um, farm class for homeschoolers at a farm, just an educational farm just outside of the city that that has a great reputation, wonderful teachers, um, great facilities. And we were just coming off the heels of a farm, an authentic farm experience where we had been up visiting friends in New Hampshire and milking cows at an actual working farm and really getting in, literally getting in the muck and, um, and doing the farm doors. And here she was now going to start this class that was truly designed to be a class for kids to learn about nature and farming and, and that sort of thing. Um, so she was very excited about it initially. And then interestingly, after the first two or three classes, she said, you know, I'm not sure I really want to do this anymore. I'm not sure that this is really exciting anymore. So initially she thought it was great, but then it became more, more and more like school. Um, you know, there were worksheets to color and specific craft projects to do that the teachers who again were lovely and wonderful, um, but they were issuing a curriculum and sort of moving through the curriculum plan for that program. And it just really spoke, I think now in hindsight, thinking about that quote um, really sort of fulfilled what I had expected, which was that authentic learning, just going out and being at a farm, or even if we were just walking around that farm as a family without participating in the class, would have likely created more natural learning opportunities, more deep learning, more enriching learning and enduring learning than would have happened in the classroom where you're um, following a, a prescribed curriculum. No matter how wonderful the teachers are or how thoughtful the curriculum is, it's still someone else's ideas around what a child should know versus the child asking their own questions, pursuing their own interests, and moving along a path that's meaningful to them. So I thought that was just really interesting that you picked out that quote, because in, in hindsight, I, what I expected um, sort of came through, that, that nothing can be natural learning. <laughs> that's really interesting. Cool. Yeah, that that jumped out at me, because, you know, it's it's that's been my experience as well. You know, you can create situations, you know, as you mentioned, program that encourages self-direction and, and, you know, they try to connect with the child and, and the teacher's trying hard, you know, it's not like it's a negative experience that they're, you know, that, that they have some ulterior motive. They really want to help the child learn. Right. But, right. But yeah, but still, um, there's a difference between that, 
maybe organic, authentic, what, uh, you know, whatever kind of term you use, but when they've chosen to be there and they're just, um, immersed in that environment that it has nothing to do with, um, anyone's not even expectations of learning, but anticipation of what could be learned and kind of directing it that way. Right. Right. Yeah. I remember, I remember, um, so it, this was another thing that was really helpful for me on our my my de-schooling journey, because I remember yeah. when the kids um, first left school. So I I got like a conservation pass, family pass, so that we could go to all the parks around us, you know, just for fun, get out. And one of them was a uh, Black Creek Pioneer Village, which was only like twenty minutes from our house, and. Uh, we used to go there pretty regularly, yeah, once every week or two. And um, the kids would, we just kind of walk around the place. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, you know, there's a there's a tour starting at this time, and they'll walk us through and tell us the history of this house and that house, and and you know, and they would have like family days where you could go and play the games and you could try out, you know, see the horseshoes, that kind of stuff, right? My kids never wanted to um, participate in any of that more formal programming that was there. Right. And I was thinking, oh, well, you know, they're just kind of reacting because it looks a little schoolish, right? Right, 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 right. So I just thought, well, just give them the space and let them play. But holy crap, like, um, I don't know, it was about a year later or so when we were we were walking around and we just ended up in a conversation and they knew so much, like more than I did about the place, even me having been there. But I was still in a different mindset. I couldn't absorb like they did, but they knew the houses. Um, people recognized them that, you know, the pe- the workers inside the different houses that had activities, they could explain, you know, X, Y, and Z, what was going on here and there. They knew that place so well, but it had been completely on their own terms and absorbing it. And that was one of those eye-opening moments where I go, you know, you don't have to set up programming for them to want to come and ask questions. They can just be in a place and absorb so much because it's connecting with them where they happen to be right in that moment. Isn't that so fun? <laughs> it's so it's so interesting. And I think it also brings up um, what would probably be the sort of benefit and drawback um, of the explosion in homeschooling um, in the past decade decade where now there's so many classes and there's so many opportunities and so many activities to participate in and in many cases to pay money for um, that I think it's easy to, to, to get caught up in all of these opportunities and it's wonderful that they're available but I think it's also a drawback because it um, it might make families think that they have to to do all of these things, that they have to make sure that their kids are in all of these structured activities and taking advantage of all of these opportunities, when sometimes just your own nature walk together, as you're indicating, um, can be so much more meaningful and valuable. And then use classes really strategically and really um, when it's a specific interest that a child is deeply passionate about, then a class can be really helpful. But I think because there's so many now, so many opportunities for homeschooling families, um, it's easy to get swept up 
in that process and lose sight of how much natural learning can happen, as you said, just organically through our everyday living. Yeah, I think that it can, you know, if, if you're coming from school and, and, you know, you're taking kids out or you're choosing not um, to do that, to see those classes as just the, re- as the replacement, this is what I'm doing instead, without right. doing a lot of that de-schooling piece and understanding um, how natural learning can can work, how it works in the environment, right? And so you you really, you miss out on that piece if you just jump from one to the next, I think. I think that's right. Away. Yeah. Right. Um, you co-edited a book along with Rachel Cheney called Choosing Home, 20 Mothers Celebrate Staying Home, Raising Children and Changing the World. I was hoping you could share the inspiration behind this collection of stories. I enjoyed browsing through it. Great. Yeah. So Rachel and I um, co-edited Choosing Home back in 2015, and it was really just prompted by this desire to allow mothers specifically and parents in general to share their stories of how they came to choose home. We were particularly struck by what we felt were these sort of societal messages um, telling women, telling mothers, you're the, the best thing for you to do is put your child in high quality child care and get back into work and use your talents in the workforce. And we really wanted to spotlight mothers and women who are incredibly talented, who had lots of opportunities and experiences, but chose motherhood instead. And and in many cases in, in the book, they're this came at, at huge financial sacrifice. Um, you know, some of the mothers talk about having to get rid of cell phones and selling a car, downsizing to a smaller home, uh, eating rice and beans and going without just to make that work. And then others, you know, maybe were less sort of um, stark changes, but still had their own sense of sacrifice and prioritizing to make it work to have one parent at home Um raising their child. And so we really just wanted to showcase these stories. And it ended up being this incredibly um, wise and eloquent eloquent collection of mother's stories. Yeah, it really, it really did. And it's interesting. I'm going to kind of move into the next question at the same time, because we're going to talk about your essay in the book. But, um, you know, that's, the idea of celebrating mothers who realize that, you know, sure, their talents um, would be well respected, say, out in the world. But it's, you know, the point of view of mothers understanding that there is so much value in using their talents, applying them to motherhood, to this role, right, where it's that's not, right. yeah, where it's not typically valued from their perspective. And then when you look at your essay, you're talking about the consequences of society's um, pursuit, uh, you know, of equal participation between men and women in the workforce. And, you know, looking from the outside, seeing that rise in stay at home moms over the past 15 years or so as, as a bad thing. So um, I was wondering if you could talk a bit about those consequences of, so before we were looking at it from the mother's perspective and all the benefits and wonderful things that they see. And so what are some of the consequences that you see when society's looking from the outside and seeing it as a bad thing? 
Right. So, so first I would say that, you know, again, the book Choosing Home focuses on mothers, but we say in the introduction to the, to the, to the ebook that, um, we really are talking about one parent at home. We just happen to use the network that we had access to focused mm-hmm. on mothers for this particular book, but it in no way excludes the growing number of stay-at-home fathers. Um, so, which brings us to this sort of second question that you had of this um, pursuit of equal participation, 50-50 uh, participation of men and women in the workforce at all levels in all professions. And what we wanted to say is that, you know, where is this coming from? For sure, we would want equal opportunity mm-hmm. of men and women in the workforce. But why do we have this goal of equal participation, of 50-50 participation of men and women? So we were challenging that assumption and trying to make the distinction between opportunity and participation. Because what we're seeing, and, and this gets to your question about the consequences of this, is that when we... Um, are sending children at ever earlier ages into full day childcare situations, no matter how wonderful they may be, we are separating children from parents. And that can lead to sort of some really alarming consequences. And we're seeing, you know, rises in children's um, psychological impact, uh, negative impact. We're seeing negative impacts to their health and their well-being. Um, And I think much of this can be targeted um, or focused on the growing numbers of children that are going into childcare at very early ages um, and then leading into academic types of preschool at, as we talked earlier, at two and a half, um, where their childhood is really stripped from them and this opportunity to imagine and create and ask their own questions and pursue their own interests is really limited. Um, so those are some of the real consequences. And I often think about John Taylor Gatto's um, books and his writing, and particularly in his underground history of um, American education, where he re publishes his Wall Street Journal article um, when he quit as a a teacher in New York after being named the New York State Teacher of the Year. And he was saying, he says about how, you know, schooling is the most radical adventure in history. It kills the family by monopolizing the best times of childhood. And I think that that's what we're seeing is that is that that we're separating parents and children, and it's having these negative consequences at the micro level in relationships between parents and children, and at the macro level in sort of our overall um, well-being and societal um, health. Yeah, I think that is such a great point that when you focus on the micro. Um, you know, the, the relationships, the one-on-one relationships, it's, um, how am I going to phrase this? Um, we can see, we can see the impact when we look at the bigger picture, but so often, um, that's not where society's looking, is it? You know, there never, uh, seem to be a lot of conversations about that bigger picture impact. It's all very, um, focused on even even the numbers right it's very focused on you know like you said looking at I love the distinction between um equal opportunity versus equal participation right 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 um there 
it's just so focused on, you know, 50, 50, this measuring, measuring. There you go. <laughs> right, right. So focused on measuring, um, reaching some sort of conclusion from that and, and then applying that as, as goals. You right. know, we're talking marks, we're talking grading, we're talking, you know, right up to this, this kind of measurement of participation in the workforce. Um, and, and that micro focus, I think has really had, uh, unintended but huge um, impact on the macro level. That's right. Yeah. <sighs> Very nice. Thank you. <laughs> I really enjoy that. <laughs> um, you are on the organizing team of the Alliance for Self-Directed Education, and I was hoping you could share with us a bit about the Alliance and its plans. Yes, I would love to. So the Alliance for Self-Directed Education is a really exciting initiative that evolved from um, initially the alternatives to school.com website and that initial project that Peter Gray, Pat Perenga, Kevin Salling, myself and some others um, put together to provide a resource for families interested in self-directed education. So it had information about unschooling, about community based uh, research resource resource centers learning centers like parts and crafts the one I mentioned that my daughter goes to once a week uh, and democratic schooling that um, embraces the ideals of self-directed education but what we discovered after launching the alternatives to school.com website is that to really create a movement around self-directed education and to really bring together all of the incredible voices, the incredible people that are working in this space and that have contributed in so many ways to self-directed education and unschooling movements over the past several decades, we wanted to create a registered nonprofit, a 501c3 organization. And that's how the Alliance for Self-Directed Education came about. And I hope that some of your listeners have visited. It's self-directed.org. It's a beautiful website. And just this week, um, we launched the sort of centerpiece of the site, which is the member network. So now you're able to go to the website and join and become a member and connect with other families, other parents and individuals who are interested in self-directed education, whether that is um, unschooling your own children, connecting with other families in your area that, that believe as you do that learning without schooling is the preferred method of education. Um, and if you're interested in potentially uh, starting a community-based learning center for homeschoolers or a democratic type of school, this is sort of the resource to do that. And so we have a lot of great ideas and plans, and we're looking for lots of feedback from members on what would be um, some great next steps. What can we do to really push this movement forward? Is it creating more um, films and documentaries and other creative ways of showcasing what unschooling and self-directed education is? Is it... Um, potentially embarking on more um, compelling research that shows the importance of learning without schooling and some of the benefits and outcomes to that. You know, what could we do now that we have this nonprofit that's raising money, that's um, looking at different opportunities to really normalize and legitimize self-directed education and expand it to more and more families? Yeah, I really, really love um, when I first heard about it, I guess, well, I was probably the end of last year, but, but, um, yeah, the idea of 
bringing together um, the, all these voices who are and generally under the self-directed um, term, for lack of a better word, right? right. It's, it's, it's just bringing together all these different choices that are, um, you know, not school, right? Exactly. And, and I just, exactly. I know it sounds so simple that way, but, but, you know, it's a really big thing. I love the idea of normalizing it because, you know, in any of those com- communities, individually right we get a lot of um pushback um from people who uh don't understand what we're doing right it just seems so strange and weird i mean a lot of people have read the comments and unschooling articles online or videos etc um but it, it even helps people to see that there are different um ways you can approach that, right? We're talking democratic schools and, and, um, learning centers and stuff. And and it doesn't mean that, um, any one of, one of those styles may fit better for your family, for your kids, for your circumstances, et cetera. Um, but it's so nice to see them all coming together to show that there's such a variety of choice, right? It, it lets people see that there's so much more choice out there rather than, you know, just just school and not school. Right. I love that. I love I love separating it from school and not school, because I think that's exactly what the Alliance for Self-Directed Education is trying to do. And it, it's even separating, um, you know, again, this idea of homeschool, traditional homeschooling from unschooling. Mm. It's the same idea that that we don't need to use school as the prototype. We don't need to be comparing ourselves against school. And in fact, that might be harmful <laughs> um, and not uh, not beneficial. We shouldn't use school as the model. We should be looking at some other models, creating our own or tapping into some of the compelling research that already exists that shows that that self-directed education and natural learning really um, are the preferred methods of education. And I think that's really what the Alliance for Self-Directed Education is trying to do. Mm-hmm. It's a, and it's such a nice distinction there that you mentioned that school at home, you know, homeschooling, right. that the juxtaposition with that. That's awesome. And which leads into you have been publishing some great articles lately on websites like Intellectual Takeout and Foundation for Economic Education. Um, I I was reading through them and the thread that's running through most of them seems to be diving into the consequences of that conventional school system or or school at home Um approach to learning and you write with such passion it was so fun to read it and I would love to hear what's drawn you to uh, start writing about that aspect right so I've always been interested in education policy back you know from college and graduate school and it's been really exciting to team up with the foundation for economic education intellectual takeout um, who care about these issues as well and looking at um, the mass schooling model and challenging it. Why are we holding up mass schooling, conventional schooling as this um, pillar for education when there's so many other models? And in fact, we're seeing so many things wrong with the mass schooling um, system, the mass schooling structure. So it's been really exciting to focus on writing more there, um, especially now that I'm sort of out of the infancy stage and 
heading out of toddlerhood, I feel like I have some <laughs> more time to devote to uh, to pushing this forward and um, and focusing more on writing about education policy. You know, it, it, this is something that I care about personally and that I feel really lucky to be able to provide for my family. And I think it's just important to be able to um, to get information out there for other families that there are other options, that the default option of mass schooling um, isn't the only way to go. It might not be the best way. And in fact, you know, I have lots of arguments of why it's not the preferred way of learning. Uh, and here are some alternatives to really explore. So it's been great to be able to focus on that. Um, and it's been also great because my husband's been able to scale back his work so that I'm able to focus more now on um, writing and speaking around education policy issues and self-directed education. And so we're, we're, we're sort of making this work as a family and figuring out, you know, what we can do to support our children and to support each other and, um, and to support our family. Yeah, that's one thing I love about, you know, the unschooling community at large, well, worldwide is, is um, we, so many people come with so many different passions and interests, they come into unschooling, um, from so many different places, right? And to see those, um, because unschooling really, when you look at it, it really permeates all of life, right? It becomes a lifestyle. And I just love when I see people's, you know, passions and interests from even before you guys chose unschooling, starting to connect and build um, with your unschooling um, passion or interest as well, you know, that you're bringing this education policy uh, perspective to it. And you're being able to write and share so persuasively how you're seeing those uh, self-directed education and education policy where they meet, right? At that. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, and I think that that's really a key piece is that, you know, I believe that self-directed education is the preferred philosophy of learning, but, um, mostly what I'm concerned about is providing more education choice to more families so that mm -hmm. this might be my bias. I might think this is the best way to go, but I just want there to be lots of opportunities. And I find that I, I feel like that's hard to really provide to families when you have a sort of monopoly situation in conventional schooling, taking up over 80% of the education market. You just don't have true choice. And so I'm really concerned about broadening that choice, hopefully persuading families to move towards the self-directed education side of things and towards that philosophy, but but acknowledging that there's lots of ways to be educated and there's lots of philosophies to explore and pursue. And there isn't necessarily one right way, but that we can't have true education choice when we have one specific mode of education, that is mass schooling, taking up the vast majority of the overall education platform. Yeah, and you know what, I, I think because um, with, with the compulsory schooling laws, it, it's just my perspective, um, that once that choice seemed to be gone, you know, then then people don't don't really know that they have a choice and they just do what's expected. Right. right. So th I think that's the biggest thing. Like I know even at the end of my, my intro to unschooling book, I say 
thanks for reading. It doesn't, you know, whether or not you choose unschooling, you now know there's a choice. So even, I think even if they choose school, they do it with their eyes more open. You know what I mean? And, And then they can participate even in that environment more. I think that's what's so important. I think that's right. And I think it goes back to our earlier discussion about the Choosing Home book. Mm-hmm. It's the same idea that we we sort of have this cultural precedent to move children into childcare. We are, you know, young new parents are getting constant messaging around get your kids ready for school. Your, you know, your worth as a parent is to prepare them for success in school and do what you can to get that process going as early as possible. And aren't you better off being in the workforce so that your children can be ready for school in high quality um, child care programming and high quality preschool and then, and then uh, mass schooling? Um, isn't that, you know, what you should be really working toward? And I think what Choosing Home tried to do was really um, open up this conversation a bit more and challenge that assumption and say, wait a minute, you know, this is not, you don't have to go down this path. This is not the only way to go. And in fact, it might be a harmful way to go. And I think the same thing, you're absolutely right, um, with your work and with this podcast series and with the the, the overall focus on self-directed education, it's just letting other letting families know that there are alternatives currently to mass schooling that are worth pursuing that are worth investigating and that you're right even if you ultimately choose the conventional schooling model you're aware that there are these alternatives and then hopefully these alternatives continue to explode continue to grow and expand and become more accessible to more and more families i love that and yes thank you so much for your work too i think i think that's I really like that, uh, you know, I'm seeing more and more choices and more and more information just out there for people to uh, run into and, and start to understand that that there are their their life is full of choice. You know, so often they feel like I, I just I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this, that they have no choice in their in their lives. And and I love seeing all that kind of information that's getting out there. So thank you very much for that. Oh, thanks. And thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me today, Carrie. I had a great time. This was a a great time. Thank you so much, Pam. Yay, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And before we go, where's the best place for people to connect with you online? Right. I'd love people to visit me at my blog, which is wholefamilylearning.com or on Facebook at Whole Family Learning. If you go to the website, my email address is there. Feel free to reach out to me there. I'd love to hear from your listeners. Oh, that's awesome. And I will definitely put links to all that in the show notes. Great. Have, have a great day, Carrie. Thanks, fam. Take care. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to check out the second book in my Living Joyfully with Unschooling series, Free to Live, Create a Thriving Unschooling Home. In it, I dive into the four characteristics that I found helped unschooling flourish in our home. Curiosity, patience, strong relationships, and trust. One reviewer wrote, Really enjoyed this short and sweet book. It has marvelous one-liners, and though I'm not an underliner, I found myself underlining on every page. Another said, 
I believe it would benefit any homeschooler or parent to read this book as it re-emphasizes the importance of the relationship between a parent and a child in the learning process. I plan to reread this book. It is rich and full of gems. Give yourself some time to absorb it before rushing into unschooling. Until next time, have fun living and learning with your family.